You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. So here's the question that we start with this morning. How is your life different? How's your life different because of your relationship with Jesus Christ? Isn't that what it comes down to, right? Um, Because an encounter with Jesus Christ creates change in us. It it makes us different. It It should mold us to be more like the image of Christ. And so we can evaluate ourselves in that and just taking a look at it. So um, as we get into this passage this morning, um, I want us to be very mindful of what God is doing in our lives. You heard, you heard the choir lead us and, and talk about just the, the marvelous peace of life that when God gets a hold of you, it changes it and we get to see His glory. We get to see God at work. Um, I want to, before we get too far into this, I want to thank you for praying this week. Um, some of you are like, what, what for? I prayed, but I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I went to Florida this week um, for a very short time to visit with my brother who um, had a stroke about a month ago. And um, so we're dealing with some power of attorneys and and different things with regards to the sale of his house and some living, living arrangements moving forward. So um, thank you for praying. Um, continue to pray. Um, you know that about his relationship with God, and because we've talked about that in here on a Sunday morning. So um, So pray for that, please. Also, the, the tears come faster when I'm tired. So, uh, just just so you know, and I'm it, it's just been just been kind of one of those weeks. Um, I did talk to him this morning, so just so you know, it's um, we had, we had a good talk, and um, he seemed pretty awake and aware this morning. So that was a good thing. Um, but just continue to pray. Um, it's, it's interesting when you start looking at Scripture and different pieces of this, you realize how important parts of your life are. Um, many of you have been through things in your life, and you would say the church is, is an incredible piece of the support system that I need for just going through life and dealing with different pieces of life. Would you agree? And, and, and I've heard it said on multiple occasions that if it weren't for the church, as I'm going through this, if it wasn't for church or church family surrounding me, I don't know where I would be. Or I don't know how I would have handled it. Because, because the, the church is that magnificent um, entity that comes alongside you. And I know the Holy Spirit and, and God does that. And, but often he uses members in a church body, in a church family, to come alongside individuals during a difficult time. It's just kind of the way God put it together. And it is, a, it is an expression of the grace of God. It's an expression of grace. 
um, I went back and, and looked, and, um, and you have it on your, your handout this morning, some words from a very familiar hymn that was written, um, actually published in 1911 by Julia Johnston. And uh, if we put those, those words up on the screen, Marvel, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. I mean, those are great words, aren't they? But unless we realize where we are in relation to grace, we will have a hard time realizing our need for grace and how to live out grace um, just doing life together. So where does grace come from? And, and why is it important? See, a, a church must promote and operate in an environment of grace if we are going to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ well. Whether it's inside the building or outside the building, without the grace of God and an understanding of that grace, we, we kind of flounder. We're, we're kind of lost. And so grace, grace is that thing that we have, and it's God who provides the grace, and it's the grace for our salvation. It's the grace that we can persevere um, as His children. It's the grace that gives us a hope for a future. And so when we look at this passage out of Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's, there's something that we've got to understand. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the context of Ephesians 4 by just picking up the very last part of Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul writes and reminds us about the magnificence of God. And then we're going to jump partway down in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at today because in the middle of this becomes the... the the linchpin, if you will, of, of what we have to understand with regards to who gives us grace and why He's given us grace and how that applies to the church body. Because we're still working through this, this, um, this new member thing, this new member class called EBC Connect. And we're working through pieces of that that we will share in a class in more detail as we go forward for anybody who's considering membership or new as a member of this family. And so that class, that first one will be in November, and we're kind of getting grandfathered in as a group, if you will. And so as we look at this, we will understand, okay, so how does God's grace apply to church? How does it apply to what God has put together? So what is grace? Uh, the Greek word is charis, and it's, it's where we get our word charity from. It's essentially a loving kindness, a delight that is bestowed on you. It's undeserved. It's bestowed favor. And so if we look at the last part of chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So you get what Paul's getting at right here at the, at the last part of this section of Scripture. He's saying, look at who Jesus is. Look at the magnificence of the one who provides for us the grace to, pre, to persevere and live out the Christian life. Look at it. Look at who that is. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. When did you go to God and ask Him for something that was beyond what you could imagine? 
Or has it been one of those, God, if you'll work this way and I work this way, we can do this together. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And God moves in ways that we may not understand. So we need to ask of that one who provides abundantly beyond what we can imagine for big things. And not limit it to the, to the God that we can put in a box and say, God, this is what I think you can do. Therefore, that's what I'm going to ask for. God, this is what I know you can do. But God, please don't limit what you do by what I think you can do. Because if we look at creation all around us, we realize that if God created all that, certainly he can do more than what I can think of. And so that's the context for what Paul deals with in chapter 4. And if we, we're going to jump down to the middle of the passage, then we're going to come back, we're going to loop back around. So um, chapter 4, starting at verse 7, says this, and catch this. It says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's talking about those that have a relationship with God. This is what God gives. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That sounds pretty good. Then verse 8, Therefore therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. So we just stop there. And, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail about this past, this section of Scripture. Because we could debate this and we could spend all of our time here. But in the context of Ephesians 4, what, the, what do those verses tell us? Well, the first verse, grace was given to a measure, means that we're given what we need. It is a measured out section or piece of grace, if you will, that is given to us so that we can live out the Christian life that Paul is going to explain, this is what it looks like. So that we can exist as a church, as Paul explains, this is what it looks like. And so what Paul writes, so this grace is given, and then he begins to talk about the one who gives it. And this is where we can get kind of hung up on the, the theology of this ascension and descension thing. But I want to tell you that in the context of this passage, it's all about the identity of Christ. Don't miss the point that it's about his identity, his power, his ability. And if we concentrate on it being the ability of God in our lives that that allows us to persevere as saints and persevere as the church in oneness and in unity, then we don't miss the point of this. So we have to concentrate on the identity of Christ in this passage. So when grace is working on us and is applied to us, what is the effect? How does that change us? Well, I want to go to um, where Deb and I are reading in a devotional um, in the mornings. And and Paul Tripp wrote this. It was several days ago. and, And he asked this question. He says, whose sin do you tend to minimize? And at that point, I just wanted to take the book and go, 
<laughs> good. Have a great day, babe. And, um, you know, go out the door because I really don't want to answer the question. Whose sin do you minimize? Do you tend to minimize? And his contention was that we tend to see the faults in others much more readily than we see the fault in ourselves. Do you agree? Yeah. So, so he writes this. And this, is, and this is, it's good for us to understand this. He said, we're all very good at looking at our sin and naming it less than sin. And we all tend to degrade the glory of what grace has done, is doing, and will do. People who deny sin tend to not progressively conquer it. And people who devalue grace tend to not run to it for help. What we're talking about here are two sides of a healthy Christian life. You confess that although you are in Christ, the presence of sin is still within you. However, it is being progressively defeated and you humbly embrace the fact that you have been given glorious grace that can do for you what you can never do for yourself. If you catch nothing else, catch this. The grace that God gives you to live life is given by him and you can't earn it and you don't deserve it and you can't measure up to it. Grace that is given by God enables us to do things according to the will of God that we would never be able to do on our own. So Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, talking about Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And we've talked about that phrase because that phrase, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, tends to show up in multiple places in Paul's letters to the different churches, doesn't it? It shows up in Colossians. You know, I know we've seen it there. We've seen it in other places. And so when Paul writes this, he's not telling this group of people something that he hasn't told others. He said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we said, that's a, that's a really big thing. And what he's saying is, I implore you, I beseech you, I beg you to live this way. To do something this way because it brings glory to God. And it's according to the calling with which we have been called. See, when we accept Christ as Savior, there is a calling on our life. God has drawn us to Himself. We've responded to God's call to grace and salvation and forgiveness. And in that, when God places the Holy Spirit in us, we can live a life that is pleasing to God. It is the Holy Spirit's work and power in our life that enables us to do that. If I'm on my own, I don't do well. How about you? How do you do? If you're void of God's work in your life, how well do you really do? The easiest way to look at that is go back to before you became a Christian or, or before you named the, the name of Christ and said, I want to be a follower of his and look at your life and how was it going? You know, I told you I grew up Catholic, but there was a point in my life that although I had a religious experience as a child in the Catholic church, I had a religious upbringing in the Catholic church, there was a period at which I strayed far from what even that context would have been considered Christian. Even I strayed far from what my mom would have wanted. 
yet alone God. I can't live the holy called life of God like this, a man worthy of the calling with which you've been called in and of myself. And so when Paul writes this, it goes back to that idea that God gives us the grace to pursue that. And in this passage, it comes to the context of church. We live as individuals growing up in Him in the context of community. So we need each other. We have to have each other. Life lived out as an individual within the context of community. Look what it says. It says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a, even that's a pretty tall order, and that's just a very short list. There was a, um, this week, I, I flew Southwest Air. How many of you have ever flown Southwest Air? Okay, it's good, and and. It's good that you are here. Um, they, they got me there and back. And, and I would say, you know, there, there, there's some, well, I won't go into too much detail. And now they did a great job. And it was, it was pretty funny. Some of the things, I, I love flight attendants on Southwest because they seem to have fun. Um, we've flown some other airlines and it's like, well, are you going to wake up? You know, what, what are you going to do? Uh, these guys are having fun. Say, you know, we get on the plane. They're like, well, if you hurry up and sit down, we'll get you something to drink. You know, that kind of thing. We'll get, off, we'll get this plane off the ground. Now, we're going to what city? You know, they'll, they'll ask questions like that. And you're like, if you don't know what city we're going to, I'm, I'm not feeling real good. And, but, but they seem to have fun. And, um, and one of the things that Southwest does is they put you in this line and you get to choose your own seat. And so it's but your boarding position Helps you get to a place of your boarding position, a better boarding position gets you on there earlier, which means you get a better seat. So, so if you have a really late boarding position, you could end up in one of those seats in the middle where you're next to two bigger individuals and, and you're just like two hours of this, you know, just enjoy the flight. You know, it's one of those kind of deals. And but when we're talking about the grace of God, every single person in here is in the same spot. Every single one of us. You can't buy a better position of grace than what God gives from the start. You can't buy it with your money. You can't buy it with your service. You can't do any of that. God gives us that from the very start and says, I want you to live in the grace that I give so that these other things can take place in your life, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the tolerance. That's why this grace is so important. See, because if we don't get it right and we're not controlled and compelled by the Holy Spirit, then we will not experience the joy that God designed us to live in. We will live as disgruntled, argumentative people, harsh with those around us, both inside and outside the church. 
The right view of grace helps the body to live in unity. A skewed view of grace causes dissension and the witness of Christ to be, to be damaged. I've been waiting for rain. Pavement's wet, and it's raining at this point. That's good. We've been without it for a while. This morning when I was coming in, I went outside, Deb said, it's raining. I said, what is that? And so went out, and, and it was just sprinkling a little bit. But as I looked around, and it's different than it is now. Earlier this morning, it was one of those deals where I think it was like one cloud. In the, and it was sprinkling over our house, but that was it. And all I could think of was that this is not going to be enough. Many of us dabble in the understanding and the application of grace in our life, much like that little bit of rain this morning. It wasn't really enough to cause any kind of growth. We have to live in the grace of God so that we can have the growth in our personal life and in growth as a church. We need, maybe it's not the flood that we're asking for, the damaging flood kind of stuff, but a long, steady dose of rain in our life, the rain of grace in us, so that we can live out what God's called us to live out. Because nobody is designed to sit in a pew and do nothing. Everybody has a job within the body of Christ. Everybody. And so I want to look at three things very quickly. The first one is the activity of grace. Look what grace does. Verse 2, with all humility should characterize us with, all gen- with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then this reminder from Paul, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So if we're going to live out this grace, what does it look like? Well, Paul addresses this in another place to a letter, to a, in a letter to a different congregation. In Galatians, he writes this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have been crucified have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Does that not sound vaguely familiar and sound like Ephesians 4 a little bit? And then it says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. This walk that we do is something that we do within the power of the Spirit. And it is also directed by the influence of God's Word on our life. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the, cru- in the truth. This is Jesus talking and praying. He says, sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for also to, for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. So that the world may believe that you sent me. And so let me ask this question. Can a body of believers assume that unity is possible, void 
of the Holy Spirit or obedience to His Word. Let me say it again. Can a body of believers assume that unity is possible void of the Holy Spirit or obedience to His Word? I'll tell you it can't happen. There may be a group of people that will agree on a particular thing, but it will not be glorifying to God. We see that within our culture. Just, uh, just these conversations that take place. There'll be a conversation at the associational meeting in a couple weeks about same-sex marriage. And, it, and it's not like, yeah, we're going to promote that. Not, not the discussion, but we're not going to promote same-sex marriage. Because same-sex marriage would be anti what the Bible says, right? We've got, there are certain things that, that Scripture is very clear about. It's also clear about grace. And we have to understand that when the Word of God is compromised in order to fit a cultural narrative that appeases man's desires and it exists within the church context, the body will never be at unity, in unity with each other or with the Holy Spirit. And that's a dangerous place to be. If God is God and His Word is His Word and we want to stand on that, then we, ha- then we adhere to this. This becomes the foundation for what we do and what we believe and how we operate. And it's not that we're harsh with those around us. Because it still says to act with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And I would say that not only goes for those within the church, but those outside the church. Paul just says it ought to start here. We have a responsibility to jump into the messy like Jesus did and be the church. Second thing, it's not just the activity of grace, but the beauty of grace. Starting at verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So if that happens, if if God has really appointed folks in those positions for a particular thing, This is the result. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So the the beauty of grace is that God has put some things together. He's given some as apostles or delegate messengers, some as prophets. They become the, the proclaimers. Some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, a shepherd, overseer, kind of fitted to teach. Why? For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You could never, and I, and I read this, so I'm not going to take credit for this, but I'll go ahead and say it with as much boldness as I can. You can never hire enough ministers to do what the body of Christ is supposed to do as a whole. There's not enough money in this church to do that. 
because we've been called to do something well beyond ourselves as a church. Why would we think we can hire all that out? No, it takes every single person in here doing what God has called us to do, to act in humility and gentleness and to step into those places in the work of service so that God can be glorified and his will would be done. This word, equipping, is an interesting word. It means perfecting. Now, I want to, I'm not going to, that could get awkward. Um, I was, I was going to show you something, but I, it's, it's probably not a good idea. Um, when we moved to Kentucky, and you'll just have to picture this in your mind, we moved there and we lived in a farmhouse for a while. And when we moved out of the farmhouse, we moved into this, this house. It had wood floors and stuff. But when we left Florida, we left all our furniture. We sold it and, and moved to Kentucky. And so when we got there and moved into this house, we didn't have furniture. So what do you guys do on a Sunday afternoon? What's the thing to do? Take a nap. Nobody knows exactly why that is true, but, but a lot of us take naps. It's like, this is, what, this is a good thing for us to do, right? But when you don't have any furniture, it becomes, it's a little bit more of an issue. And so Deb would go in one room, but, but on Sunday afternoons, we kind of go to different places for, for that time. And so I would stay out in the living room. Well, the only thing out in the living room that I could use were four dining room chairs. <laughs> and if you line them up right, you can lay on them. I want to tell you, it's not the most comfortable nap, and I was glad when we got a couch. But, but to, to, to lay there, it was just a room that was incomplete. It didn't provide the, for the need. And, and what Paul is saying here is, is that these, these people are given specific roles within the body of Christ. They are particular to the body of Christ and for the equipping of the saints, for the complete furnishing of the saints for the work of ministry. See, God gave that. That's a measure of grace that God gives for the church so that the church can do what it's supposed to do. And then when is it accomplished? When we all attain to the unity of the faith. Man, what does that mean? I had to go back and think about it for a minute. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, what in the world does that mean? It essentially means that we're on the same page theologically. We are consistently aligned with God's word. And if we are diligent to be under the, under the leadership that God has placed in a particular church, and that leadership is, is adhering to God's word, and we listen to that and take it in and begin to apply God's word to our life, then we can be aligned in accordance with God's word. And we can do what God's called us to do. And so we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is a constant submission to God's grace at work in us. So, so if we were to have all those things, does that sound like a really good church to be in? Yeah. But we're still a work in progress, aren't we? In fact, the Ephesian church was a work in progress. The Galatian church was the same. The Philippian church was the same. 
The Colossian church, not any different. The church at Philadelphia. Jump over to Revelation 3 and you'll see a bunch of churches that weren't quite perfect. However, we can be a work in progress. We can be submitted to the grace of God, to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so wouldn't it be good if we, if every person, if every person in here attended to their relationship with God diligently? Wouldn't it be good if we were all there? What if we all respected one another's opinions? I don't know about that one. What if we truly care for those in the church? That care drives, the, drives our decisions about attendance and giving. What if humility is present and at the same time there's boldness in our faith? Ephesians 4.14 4, says this, As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's interesting that's where Paul goes with this. Because as the body of Christ submits to the grace of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then when these other ideas come to the church, say, hey, you ought to buy into this. It's the going thing. If it does not align with Scripture, it needs to be kicked out. But a group that is not submitted to God and paying attention to what the Word of God says will take that in and run with it before they realize it. They are far from the doctrine that, that is set apart in Scripture. This word, this word children, no longer to be children, means to not be childish. To not be agitated mentally by a wind of doctrine. Or by the trickery of men. The beauty of grace is when the church, us as individuals and us as a body, come together and are submissive to what God asks us to do. It's the beauty working of grace. So we have the activity of grace, the beauty of grace, the context of grace is the last part and it's the last couple verses in this section but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part and it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love yeah, I, I love this past this section here because it, it moves from the individual's responsibility of applying grace to their life to how things are put together. It's, it's interesting, that word fitted comes from two Greek words, and you will recognize both of them. The first one is harmos, which is where we get harmony, right? It's that putting together, joining together. Essentially, it's that picture of an orchestra that is following the direction of the, the conductor. And you know how it sounds when they're warming up. It's just like chaos. But when the conductor steps into that place and calls everybody to order and begins to conduct the orchestra, it is a beautiful sound. That's the idea, that, that idea of harmony. The second part of that word is the word lego. I love it. 
I'm like, can you pick a better word than Lego? Putting things together? I don't know about you. I grew up with Legos. And, and the Legos that I had grown up were not like to build these planes and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I had to use my imagination to build stuff. And being OCD, I needed all the same color for certain things too. So just, just so you understand that. But look at what Paul is saying here. He's saying this, this thing is joined together and laid forth. Lego is a, the idea of laying forth. It's joined together, put together like blocks together so that it can accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. When we go off on our own tangent, away from what God has put together, we miss out on what God has in store or what God has planned. God puts it together in the context of our need and the application for what he wants to do with the church in a particular location. Don't miss the fact that the context of grace is also his church. So the activity of grace, the beauty of grace, and the context of grace. And so what does that look like here? Very briefly, I want to run down, run through some things so that you understand why we exist, the way we exist as far as our setup. And part of what God has placed here is a staff team. You know, I get to serve a senior pastor, but it doesn't mean that when we step into a room as a staff team, that, that although my voice has weight, I want other opinions in the room. And so we operate as a staff team in leadership of this particular body. And, and you've heard me say that I'm not a perfect leader. I'm not a perfect staff person. I'm certainly not a perfect human being. I mess up. Everybody on the staff does. And so if you're looking for a staff team that's perfect, you're not going to find it. At least not here. We got issues. All of us. Sorry. <laughs> you're new. You, you didn't even know that, did you? Yeah, you've been around long enough to know that. So, but, but it's a staff team that God has placed here in various roles. Pastor Isaiah works with preschoolers and children and, and those families and those workers. Jeremiah is our next-gen family pastor. And his, his primary responsibilities with students and college students and high school and middle school students. But he has responsibility for overseeing that whole process. What does that look like in conjunction with Pastor Isaiah? Pastor Wayne is here and he leads our worship. But, you know, his only job is not to stand up here and either face you and lead music or face that way and lead a choir. That's not his only job. He's responsibility for what's upstairs in the soundboard and the video and all that kind of stuff. But he is way more than just the technical pieces of a pastor. He leads us in other ways as well. And there are some of you that when push, push come to shove and you're in a tough spot, you'll call Pastor Wayne. And that's fine. It's a staff team that God has placed here for a particular purpose. And there's support staff around that. Rita and Elizabeth and David and Raquel. All of them are staff team members that enable us from, from the administrative end to function as a church. The next group is the group that met this morning. 
We even talked about this a little bit, the deacons. The deacons, and we see them primarily as servers, and publicly they serve the Lord's Supper, but they do so much more. Their job is to serve, but they also serve as advisors. They serve to preserve the unity of the body. Sometimes they are the ones that have the listening ears to somebody who has a complaint. You remember that's how the whole deacon ministry got started. Was there was some widows that felt left out. And so Paul or um, the apostle said, hey, we can't take care of this. We need to study God's word and choose from among yourselves men full of the Holy Spirit that can step in here and serve. Our deacons do that. They preserve unity and serve. And then there are ministry teams that are decision-making groups of people. And there's a a bunch of those. Our our finance team works with our checking account and our debts and savings. And and they support staff, but they do so much more. Um, They are supportive of the budget. And they will present a budget in November for us to consider and vote on before the end of the year. Their job is, is huge. Joe Morris is the, the new chairperson of that team, so pray for him. Some of you are giggling. Pray for him. He's got a job because he's leading a group of people and the responsibility of stewarding the funds that come into the church is a tremendous weight. And I, I can't... I. I I can't tell you, I, I appreciate that group of people so much because they are a steadying group of people for us, for us as a, a body. It would be easy if everybody gave, uh, I don't know, 25%? No. Um, if, if, every, if everybody gave what God called them to give, it would make their job a lot easier. So if you want to make their job easier, just saying. Okay, the, the next group, personnel team, exists to support staff and, and they create some policies for, for our human resources area. House and grounds, women's ministry. And our women's ministry just hosted a retreat at Runnymede for the last couple of days. In fact, I started, and we talked about it last night, um, started to tell all the ladies that went on the treat, retreat, you have the morning off, you can lay down on the pew. Because you had lots of scripture this weekend. Um, but I just couldn't bring myself to do that. So, but women's ministry is an active ministry in our church. There's mentoring and a whole bunch of different things that go on in that. Our missions and outreach team is another one. Mary Ann leads that team. And on October 20th, which I guess is next Sunday, is um, you'll get to hear about some mission trips that are coming up and some reports about missions areas and outreach areas that you can be involved in and that we've been involved in transportation team, our welcoming team, which kind of consists of greeters and ushers. They're the ones that get the bags ready out there to hand out and and are always there at the front door smiling and greeting and willing to shake your hand. Master's Garden Preschool team helps Marianne and is um, supportive in not only writing policies, but supportive of Marianne in making some of the difficult decisions that happen when you have a weekday preschool program. So don't forget to pray for them. Beyond that are small groups. Because it is, those are the, keys to, the key to engagement. 
They help us, and if we go back to those three phrases, to find your place, build your faith, and make a difference, that small groups embody that. It's a place where you can invite friends to come into a place where they can find other friends, they can learn about God, and then be motivated to go out and make a difference in the world around them. And then as we begin to wrap up, just our different connections as a church. We're associated with the Yates Baptist Association, a group of churches locally that, that do missions. They travel to Mexico and have other partnerships like the, the partnership that we connected with in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh this past summer through our student ministry. The Baptist State Convention of North Carolina and then the Southern Baptist Convention, which makes up about 47,000 churches, which, which ought to tell you something. It's a large group of folks. It, it is why that when you receive Sunday school curriculum, you go, well, this doesn't apply here real well. They're writing for 47,000 churches. You try that. I have a hard time communicating with one or two people. 47,000? <laughs> That's a really large need. It's a big job. So this, we're associated with the Southern Baptist Convention. It's identifying with Christians of similar doctrine. Excuse me. What does the Southern Baptist Convention do? Well, they support mission efforts. The International Mission Board has 3,700 overseas missionaries. The North American Mission Board has about 5,100 domestic missionaries. They planted 624 new church plants this past year. Southern Baptist Convention is also instrumental in our six seminaries. In um, Gateway, Midwestern, New Orleans, Southeastern, Southern, in Louisville, Southwestern. With around 22,800 students in those six schools. Training in vocational ministry. Southern Baptists do, it does a lot. And we're associated with that group. We could never do that on our own. We could never have that, we don't really have that kind of influence. Or resource, but when you pull forty-seven thousand churches together, when you pull the state con the state convention churches together, when you pull Yates Association churches together, a lot can be accomplished in the name of Christ. And if we do our part as a church in any of those areas, in fact, if we are just the church that God called us to be, then we can affect the world. I ran into a girl when I was in Florida. I didn't, like, run into her. Um, I met her in the coffee shop. Uh, I went there when I came back to the hospital one of the afternoons when I was down there with my brother, and, and I walked into the coffee shop, and it was about the same time the middle school across the street was letting out of school. And so when I walked in, and you would think a hospital, there's, there's not middle schoolers in a hospital, Right? I walked in, and the coffee shop and the cafeteria were flooded with middle schoolers that wanted a snack after school. And I was like, golly, I'm in here to see my brother. It's a hospital coffee shop. I want coffee. And I, and I 
no offense, if you're in middle school, I just wanted you to be out of the way. <laughs> because, because the way it worked is I, I'm listening. They were like, and, and maybe you guys can relate. What can I get for a quarter? That was a, that was a question. I'm like, Look at the board. You can't get nothing for a quarter in this coffee shop. But, but it was kind of, kind of those. And then they're pulling out all the change that came out of the couch at home or something. You know, but, but they were in there. There was a bunch of them. So I went upstairs and I went back down later. And, and the girl's name was Austria. And, um, and we started talking because she had a jar on the counter that said college fund. And so I figured, well, that's, a, that's an open door. I can ask, hey, where do you go to college? So she, she started telling me. I said, what do you want to do? And she said, I'm really kind of waiting to see what God has for me. I said, so what are you doing? She said, well, I'm working on my AA right now, but I don't know what God's going to do. I'm like, okay. And I, and I thought on the way to church, I probably need to send her a check for the tip jar. Um, just, just so you know. Um, and so we, we just started talking about what she wants to do and what she desires to do. And, and she's got this idea that God is going to lead her in that as she is submissive to him and seeks him. And that becomes first in her life. And so we had this conversation about how that works. And, and then we talked just a little bit more. And this is what I told her. I said, you will have a ministry wherever God leads you going forward. But I want to tell you, at 3.30 in the afternoon, you've got a ministry with middle schoolers that need to hear what you're doing, that you are seeking God for a direction for your life. They're worried about quarters and what they can buy, and you can teach them about life as a 20-year-old. She's got an incredible ministry. And, and she looked at me like, I've never thought about that. I wonder if her day is going to be different on Monday. Because she's allowing the grace of God to use her where God has placed her for the good of his kingdom and for the building up of the body of Christ in love. So how are you fitting into the body of Christ? Has grace been applied to you? In, in other words, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? We'd love to be able to share that with you. The second part of this, are you fitting in harmony with others by grace? If you've already accepted Christ, are you fitting in? Are you being joined together? Are you... Harmos and Lego put together, are you doing that as part of the body so that the body can function the way it's supposed to? Where are you at? How is the grace of God being applied to you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.